We had some quotes this week that I wanted to mention right off the get-go. Let me interrupt Paul before he gets too far. This is This Week in Common Sense, Paul Jacobs' podcast, where he covers the big stories of the week as they've appeared on thisiscommonsense.org, the website he's been working on since 1999. Paul writes a column there five days a week, and on the weekends, we have the video and audio versions of this podcast. But also on thisiscommonsense.org, are a number of other features, like thoughts of the day, and Paul's going to talk about a few of them to start with. The first one is from George Santayana, my favorite philosopher. And who am I? My name is Timothy Vircola. I help Paul with these podcasts. And why should you care that George Santayana is my favorite philosopher? Well, I don't think you need to. Let's just go into the podcast, eh? George Santayana, a child educated only at school, is an uneducated child. Hmm. Now, I just didn't think that's almost something you can't argue against, and yet I, I can ground the people who I'll be arguing with. But I, I kind of feel like I learned some things at school, but that for me, it was very much a building on what I already knew when I went to school. And I think that is a big advantage. When I think of privileges I've had or advantages I've had in life, uh, that was a big one. That was a big one. Well, it's almost a truism among educators, I think, at least among the first rank of educators that, I mean, you have to learn and learning doesn't stop or usually doesn't start at school. I mean, learning is something people do and you have to assimilate and you have to rethink. And so that has to happen everywhere you're at. And people who concentrate only on schoolwork and in the school environment are probably not quite on the right track. My parents used to discuss that there was some teacher at some open, you know, parents night or open house. I think those are the same thing. Um, I've been out of school a long time. And, uh, but, but that some teacher of history had never been outside the state of Arkansas and they were somewhat appalled. And it, it, the, another big advantage I think was traveling and not, it's not like we were world travelers or anything, you know, it, it, it was a couple of weeks in the summer, you know, and now a lot of times we went to go see relatives, but it was, it was going somewhere. And, and, and part of it was just being interested in uh, in, in learning in the world. And, and, uh, you know, my wife and I, my, uh, youngest, who's done very well in academia so far is uh, going for a, a doctorate at uh, the university of Florida at present. And it's quite young to be, be doing that uh, a couple of years ahead of her time. So, um, <clears throat> I've always thought she was right in time, but anyway, um, but she was able to, you know, one of the things she could say on different things was that neither of her parents had a college education. So she was kind of a first person. Now, my parents were appalled by the fact that I didn't go get a college education. I remember being, I've told it, I think, on this podcast before, but uh, whatever, you know, sometimes we repeat, but that my, my mom, when I was about 35, I was uh heading up u.s term limits and we were involved in some heady important stuff and uh, she said are you ever going back to school as if i was going to drop it all to finish my education and then you know follow the the normal course 
but uh, but it, learning, I, I think, you know, one of the things that has made my wife, I think, effective as a homeschooler is how much she likes to learn, how much she's when she's not teaching something and, and it's not like she's running around teaching, she's facilitating. She's, you know, uh, it's a friendly sort of educational establishment. Uh, but when she's not doing that, a lot of times she's reading something and, you know, it's just kids and, and human beings, we model, we model behavior. And, you know, if you want your kids to have the right behavior, then model the right behavior. Now, <laughs> I just want folks to know that it didn't work for my parents and I don't think it's worked for me, but I still kind of, you know, somehow it sounds right. There's another one too. Glenn Greenwald points out the obvious. Secrecy is the linchpin of abuse of power. We discovered, he says, it's enabling force. Transparency is the only antidote. And one of the interesting things about Greenwald saying this, a lot of people would say good things about transparency, but Greenwald is also with it. He's woke, he's hip to the fact that so much of the opaqueness of our government and modern society, so much of our inability to communicate with each other and have fruitful discussions and go places is the public-private censoring partnership of big tech and the government. And he gets that, we get that here at This Is Common Sense. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a truism. And obviously, you know, uh, you get in the war and, and when the, you know, troops are going to land on the beach. That doesn't need to be a transparent uh, item. There are going to be times for secrecy. But here in the U.S. of A., we now have, you know, we now have secret courts. We have secrecy about everything. And we also have a media, again, Jesus is a recurring theme, that plays into it that brings us like the last election, just last year, that brings us the former heads of the CIA and the National Security Agency and the National Security Advisor and the XYZ, FB27, whatever secret you know, agency that we don't even know about. They're all on CNN and they're on MSNBC and they're saying, that Hunter Biden's laptop is <clears throat> Russian disinformation. And the media laps it up and repeats it. Turns out they just made it up. They, they to this day, do not argue that somehow, oh, we thought that we had talked to the wrong person. Oh, we got it all messed up. Uh, no, they made it up. And they said it on national television, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, before an election. Lying, that's what our, that's what our deep state that's no longer in the deep state. Of course, the same people when they were actually working for us in the deep state were also lying to us. 
as people will remember, uh, uh, James Clamper saying that they don't get the information of people except unwittingly. Uh, you know, the average American would never be surveilled and, and their information gathered when it was being gathered and it was being done so illegally, no one's paid a price for it, except for the gentleman who brought it to our attention. It, at least a lot of people suspected it. Uh, and, and you get the booby prize, but the real prize goes to the person who proved it. And that's Edward Snowden. And he's stranded in godforsaken Russia. And, uh, and Clapper's, I'm sure, worth millions and can go on CNN and MSNBC whenever he wants. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a pitiful episode. When government isn't held accountable by real living, breathing people, most people you know, agree with them, disagree with them, their philosophy of government, whatever. They're decent people. They don't run around stealing and killing and, you know, for the most part. And, and that's we're blessed in that way. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with this now, but but uh, but it just seems like um, when big institutions are not held accountable by us peons. Awful, awful, awful stuff happens. And so often they're not held accountable. And it's not just government. I think we can look around and see it's not, there's no magic to, oh, well, it's a government, you know, the, the web address has GOV at the end of it or whatever. Uh, that doesn't matter. Any organization that gets removed from accountability is going to function in certain ways. And of course, you know, government gets removed from accountability all the time from regulatory capture, where the left wants, you know, a big regulatory state to take care of big business. And boy, do they take care of big business and big business loves them. And we haven't written anything, Tim, uh, about it. But uh, I, I think maybe we alluded to it and alluded to it, mentioned it in, in passing. But Facebook wants to be regulated. Facebook is now running an ad that is online and on the television that has a human being talking about moderating stuff and so on, even though I can't see that they're ever using human beings. It's some stupid algorithm that just, you know, oh, it used these three letters in a row, smash. Uh, it's, the, it's ridiculous. Um, uh, not that it couldn't be mean-spirited, but mainly just stupid and destructive. Um, but it's, it's also this idea that they want to be regulated because of course they're in bed with the people. They just want to keep making money and selling our information. Um, but they're more than willing to go to whoever has the biggest stick to kind of make sure they don't get hit by that. And they're going to, they're going to be in bed with the government. They have been all along and they're going to continue to be, and they're going to beg to be in some way that is gonna, we're gonna hear on the news, it's gonna control them and make them mind and make them be good and make the world perfect. And it's going to be the ultimate, we don't get to speak because we have this public private 
censorship partnership. Of the five pieces you wrote this week, how many do you think uh, apply to this? I noticed that the first one, Black and White at NPR, is about how the headlines of NPR uh, reflect a rather non-objective uh, kind of insidery, ba- unbalanced way. I'm not sure if that really fits or not. It fits in terms of the media part of it in that uh, the media and this whole piece, uh, we, we won't go into you know terribly deep on it. I'd come read it, Black and White and NPR. And it just points out uh, that uh, with the Amon Arbery uh, verdict, they had a headline about three white men found guilty and we can remember from the old days uh, that that, you know, oftentimes people would complain that it's, you know, when someone's found guilty, they're black. But the, but when a white person is found guilty, they don't mention that they're they're white. There was a suggestion by Sean Malone, who's a videographer and a smart guy that, hey, stop doing this. It's not really important. You know, if you're saying, hey, there's someone loose in the town. Um, who's dangerous, well, you might want to give their skin color because that might help people recognize them. But it doesn't really matter after the fact when there's a verdict in a case. But if you want to say it, then say it universally. But again, it's the narrative. And there are actually this week three pieces dealing with race. And, you know, we we generally, uh, as you know, Tim, (laughs) Not telling you, but I'm telling our studio audience and and millions across America and the world um, that that basically we try to mix things up. You know, we're not trying to do this, the the same issues. But when you come down to it, this piece is about race and the narrative that is constantly about race in the media. And then school boards withdraw, which is uh, worth seeing how serious it's gotten if you know if you know anything about associations and those and people they go to conferences and they talk and they know different people and hi it's good to see you again and oh yes this is so important and they're wonderful people but they're not the sort of people who say you know what i am leaving and i'm never coming back and to heck with the National Association, and uh, and you know they're they're not they're not radicals, they're not folks who usually pick fights, and yet what was it? Sixteen states, sixteen of the state school board associations broke from the National School Board Association over the letter they sent President Biden asking him to do something about domestic terrorism, meaning parents who've had enough. And this is, this is not just white parents who've had enough of people saying that their kids are oppressors. When their kids are, you know, they might turn out to be, but they really are just little kids right now. And uh, it's also black parents who don't want their kids to be told they're oppressed because they're telling their kids, you're not oppressed, get up, go do this, go do this. You know, this is like such such destructiveness. If you ever bump into real people trying to raise real kids. And, and, And of course, then it's always made out to be somehow that, oh, they just don't want to teach history. Come on, come on. 
teach teach history all day long. Just let's not make the kids the oppressors or the oppressed by the color of their skin. And then, of course, we had cosmic or merely comic about Jesse Smollett. Uh, uh, did I say that almost with the French, you know, lilt there at the end? <laughs> because one of the one of the things is you get a link at this piece. This is uh, uh, cosmic or merely comic. And I know that most people can't go to YouTube all by themselves and, and search for anything. And so I provide the link in this piece to Dave Chappelle's bit on Jesse Smollett, which is, and I'm sure there's a couple words here that if you're looking for a, a G rating, it doesn't have it, but uh, very, very funny. And just, you know, when a comedian, a lot of times comedians can, can uh, do damage but when a comedian completely devastates, he's, a, he's about two jokes in. And it's just, I say some funny things in the commentary too. But one of the funny things that Dave Chappelle says is, is that uh, he says, you know, they wondered, the media wondered, why has the black community been so silent? Why aren't they supporting uh, Jesse Smollett? Smollett? And, uh, and he says, uh, he says, that silence was supporting him because we knew he was lying, but he says it really funny. Anyway, uh, you should go read that and find the link and have some fun there. Uh, and then of course, the other piece we had was on Friday. And it's interesting because we've had a couple of uh, pieces in recent weeks and they've been on Fridays. Uh, maybe it's Maybe it's like somehow in my, in my DNA, because I was reared Roman Catholic, that, that you know, Friday's kind of the, a religious day, because of course, then you didn't eat meat on Friday. And, um, but which national church? It's not about problems in the US. We're not the only place with problems, uh, with first world white people problems. Uh, these are, uh, these are problems in Finland. And, um, and it's about freedom of religion. And it's about a legal code that doesn't believe in the First Amendment faithfully, that doesn't say, look, you may not like what they say, you may be hurt by what they say. If they're doing it on a loudspeaker, we'll come, you know, confiscate the loudspeaker as disturbing the peace. But if they're doing it in their own churches and on their own Twitter feed or on their own whatever, then they get to speak. And this is about religion. It's about LGBTQ, but it could be about all kinds of different things. Religion, sexual orientation, whatever the issue of politics. I mean, part of the problem with what Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are trying to do is there are no lines to be drawn there. There's no, you know, you, and, and if you, if I, I can just hear people kind of quickly, well, if someone's being murdered on the screen, well, you're going to show some war footage where maybe somebody is and so on. People can turn things on and off and, and we can have a lot of power in that way. But the, the moment that we start to say, well, this is the right 
political viewpoint. This is the right medical viewpoint. This is the right, and we're going to enforce it. All hope is lost. It's, I, I shouldn't say it that way because there's always hope, but we're screwed. It's, it's the sort of thing where, I mean, now you've got an official church. You've got an official religion. You've got a, you know, everything. You've got an official truth. And anyone who says anything against that truth. And I mean, what if we learn nothing in, in like millennia after millennia? The one piece I wanted to concentrate on, which is, is a simple piece, and uh, we'll, we'll let everyone out of church early today. It's Disney's memory hole. We got numerous comments and lots of shares on Facebook and so on. And it was, it, it, it's something that I think, you know, we, we kind of went with a, you know, this wasn't a very sophisticated piece. I'm talking uh, to, to you down here, but uh, uh, it was, you know, basically uh, Disney, is selling in China. It's Hong Kong, which is now China and no real difference. And uh, they decided to self-censor an episode of The Simpsons. And of course, it's a classic episode of The Simpsons. And um, I like The Simpsons, but I haven't seen many because my wife never liked them. And <laughs> so somehow it never seemed to be on. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I didn't miss much, I suspect, but I've seen different clips and especially this episode because one, there's the, uh, you know, the sign at uh, Tiananmen Square that says nothing happened here in 1989, uh, which is, of course, what the Chinese would like us to all believe and, and repeat. Uh, and then also there's the line where uh, basically says, you know, what, a, what an angel. Uh, uh, that Mao was like a little angel that killed 50 million people. There was actually a, a, a quote this week, uh, Tim, one of the uh, ones by uh, Stanislaw Jerzy Lech. That would be my guess. Polish is not a very familiar language to me. Is it progress if a cannibal uses knife and fork? And I don't know, I guess you could take that different ways, but I take that kind of, that there are times where we talk about what's going on in a totalitarian regime like China. And we use the sort of words that prop it up in kind of a different way. And it's like this recent case with the uh, uh, Peng Shuo, uh, it's a tennis player, <laughs> I wish you your name, uh, uh, but it's the tennis player from China who said, hey, I was, I was sexually assaulted by a high up official. Uh, all of a sudden that gets scrubbed off the internet. She gets scrubbed off the internet. Nobody hears from her for weeks. There's this phony email that she sends that of course doesn't seem like she really sent any email at all. It looked totally phony. Uh, and a put-up job by Chinese media. Uh, and then there's this film with her and the IOC, the International Olympic Committee. And there's some back and forth. There were also some other pictures and videos shown, but it wasn't quite clear where that was from, when it was, anything else. She's fine. 
but of course she's not seen out about out and about in any real way. And of course they keep saying, we want to know that she's free and safe. Well, well, she, she's a Chinese citizen. So what are you talking about? Which is of course, one of our, one of our pieces last week, we talked about the fact that, you know, we use that exact uh, line, in fact, to, to point out, look, that's not going to happen in China. But, Again, you think about, okay, this is what happens with this athlete. And we're going to send athletes to Beijing for the Olympics here in just a little bit. Doesn't that seem a little odd? And, uh, and in the news, of course, this week, um, and the news, unfortunately, doesn't always time itself according to my scripts. But, but uh, this week, of course, the Women's Tennis Association comes out after the IOC had kind of said, well, at least we know she's okay and that's good. And so, you know, let's everybody kind of calm down and we're using quiet diplomacy. The Women's Tennis Association says, we're not doing any more um, tournaments. We're not doing any more stuff. We're not sending any more athletes to China until this gets settled. And interestingly enough, gosh, I love this. <laughs> interestingly enough, they're not just saying until we know she's safe. They're saying until we know she's safe and you're investigating the charges that she has made because the Women's Tennis Association, unlike any of the others, has stayed focused this whole time. They noticed in one of the communiques around this filming and everything else that she had said, and I apologize, it didn't happen. And they didn't like the way that was done. And again, what's the problem, the underlying problem here? Let's just cut right to the chase. If you have a country in which the state, the government, has no democratic check on it, has no constitutional check on it, and believes that the state should be able to do whatever it wants, and you then see them put a million, maybe two million people of an ethnic and religious minority into concentration camps. I mean, what else could you call them? They look just the same. It's like they must have like gone on the internet concentration camp building makers to like order the supplies and stuff. It's ugly, horrible pictures that anybody who's seen any of these documentaries and then to hear people talk about it and you look at the population changes from census and other things, there's there's a ton of evidence. And of course, nobody even talks about the evidence that they have to, you know, organ harvesting, what they did with Falun Gong and just arresting people because they believe in the spiritual philosophy that somehow the government decided they didn't like. It was kind of a threat to them. And, uh, and then, of course, because these people at least this is one of the theories, they may just like to cut people up and sell their organs for a profit. I mean, that may be, that may be all the reason the Chinazis need to engage in that business. But it's also uh, suggested that because they didn't believe in smoking or drinking, 
they ate very well. They believed in breathing and exercise that the Falun Gong political prisoners made very good organ donators. So is that the donatees? Um, and, and so in China, unlike anywhere else in the world, it is easy to come in and get a, 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 an organ. You need an organ, we got one, we got one, it's great. So, and again, it's, uh, I mentioned China Nazis, we use that sparingly. I try not to overdo the Chai Nazi thing, but I'm adamant about mentioning the term Chai Nazi because I think people, sometimes when we don't properly define something, it escapes us. It, 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 we don't think about it correctly. And China is not behaving like a communist doesn't behave like Mao did, where most of its victims are starvation. Most of its victims, they beat someone to death or killed them or whatever. Um, it, it behaves like a very efficient state capitalism. They want people to make money. And if they don't make money, they're in trouble. And they'll take that money when they need to, and they'll change the rules whenever they want to. So it's, I'm not saying it's, it's certainly not free market capitalism. It's certainly not capitalism in the sense that you allow capital to accumulate, because allow is not one of the words that, that you know, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is big on. But they certainly have weaponized capitalism in the sense that they want to do business and they want to be rich. And unlike the Soviet Union, that I think was, was always kind of propped up as a much bigger threat than it really was because it was not economically strong. Uh, China is a different story. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a very scary situation. And this piece basically just said, Walt Disney Company God, Walt Disney would be ashamed, but but uh, they are going out of their way. They're, they're way too eager to cooperate in shoving this history down a, a memory hole. And, you know, people could say, well, what are they supposed to do? Not do that. And if not doing that requires you to do what the Women's Tennis Association did, which is to say, we're going to give up millions, millions of dollars. We're going to give them up. And you know what? We're all going to eat tonight. We're going to sleep in a nice warm bed. Our lives are just going to be fine. But we're going to have less millions flowing through. And we're not going to be in bed with a bunch of Nazis. And that, you know, that what they've done is to like, in this world in which, you know, LeBron James is, hey, shh, don't say anything. Hey, we're trying to make a bunch of money. I think it's just kind of stupid. What, what, uh, what was that? There was a Moray. I uh, might have the name right. It's something like that, uh, Mornay or something. But the guy with the Houston Rockets in their office who tweeted something pro, you know, uh, 
freedom for Hong Kong, stand with Hong Kong, um, fight for freedom. And uh, there's so many people have been quick to, oh, come on, man, let's just make money. You know, at a certain point, Khrushchev would be right that we'll bury, we'll, we'll, you will sell us the shovel to bury you. And the truth is, woke capitalists, smart capitalists, smart people who believe in freedom and free markets, whether they call it capitalist or something else, they are not going to want to sell the, you know, the gun to hold them captive with. And, and not making money in the Chinese market may be the right move to, to make. It sure is the right move for the Women's Tennis Association. And when you read what they say, uh, and of course, that's the week before this. I can't remember what the, uh, what the name of that piece was off the top of my head. You should slap it up here on the screen. I will do that. It'll be, uh, it'll be slapped. Consider it slapped. <laughs> and, and especially for the people who are listening to the audio, Slap it hard because they're not going to get to hear it. <laughs> so you just hear a slap. No. Uh, anyway, the uh, Disney's hardly alone. You know that, and and this is the problem with foreign policy, and and I come at foreign policy as a as a libertarian, as a non-interventionist, and yet. I now am very adamant that we need to be part of an alliance in the Indo-Pacific to check China. I am open to arguments for why we need to be protecting uh, Ukraine and the Baltic states. And I am not open to people who don't recognize that in a number of those cases, we have, if not all of them, in one way or another, the United States of America has pledged, has sent every signal, sometimes written in treaty, but even with Taiwan, where it's written, you know, there's this strategic ambiguity, which is, uh, you know, we haven't even thought of what lie to tell. Uh, you know, it's like a player to be named later. Every, every signal sent throughout all of Asia is that we're going to defend Taiwan. So let's not get in the theoretics. This, this is not theory. We're not talking about theory. We're talking about real world. We've said we're gonna defend people. So the, the solution is one of two things. Either we say, oh, we didn't really mean it. And, and, and you know, look, I, I know none of us controlled the State Department and the White House. So, I'm not really saying it's your fault or anything, but uh, we need to get our government to say, hey, we didn't mean it. You'll have to find another way to defend yourself or we have to provide that defense. And if we lived in a representative democracy in the way that we envision it, I'm not just in the way we all kind of think about it, if we really lived in that we would have some impact on that. We would have some sense of where we, when we were younger might be sent or where our kids or grandkids might get sent or, and we would know, well, does this make any sense? Because, you know, 
it's ugly when you think of storming the beaches in Normandy, but it, almost everybody thinks we needed to do that. And yet there were maybe easier conflicts like Iraq or Afghanistan in terms of the numbers killed and the difficulty of the mission that it didn't make any sense. And so what I think has to happen is we have to have a representative democracy where the foreign policy has some connection to what we want. Just like, just a, you know, some kind of connection, a little, you know, uh, we, we can stand right next to it kind of and nudge it in the, but, but because without the public being involved, it's all about making money. It's going to be big business that wants to do business abroad and would like U.S. muscle to help them do business. And I don't mean that it's always a terrible, evil thing. They're trying, you know, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to do business. They'd like all the help they can get from, from terrible people who might want to hurt them overseas, let's say. So it's, it's, but that's who's going to be talking to the State Department. That's who's going to be talking to people in Congress at the White House about foreign policy is people who have a, 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 a stake in it. And I'm suggesting in my old age that it, it hasn't worked too well to say, look, hey, let the rest of the world do what they want to do. We're policing all of it. I now want to find a way to form coalitions in key parts of the world to help free countries stay free. And by doing so, get to a point where we're not the world's policemen, where we're not the only people who are invested in making sure that you can, you know, put a ship through the South China Sea. And, uh, and you see that, you know, you see that already that, that uh, in the last couple of years, Japan, Australia, other countries in the in the Southeast Asia, uh, and you see in Europe uh, with the South China Sea, uh, a lot of the European countries doing things to kind of say yes, we recognize there needs to be some, you know, some freedom of navigation. It's in our interest for there to be freedom of navigation. It's in our interest for the U.S. to not be the cop in every lagoon to make sure that that happens. And it seems to me that you can, you can look at both of those things and that in, in really moving away from empire and world's policemen, um, we have a responsibility to do that in a way that you know, leaves millions of people free and instead of unfree. And it, it is scary to see what's happening uh, in Ukraine uh, on the border. And it's, it's scary to think what could happen across the Taiwan Strait. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's also interesting, I think it kind of says none of the problems that have been created, it's like that none of the problems seem to go away. The Soviet Union falls. And I tend to think that the U.S. did not, you know, just didn't respond uh, in, a, in a very effective way. I don't know exactly what I would have said we ought to do. Uh, but somehow it, you know, we still have the same kind of monster over there in terms of an of a authoritarian, totalitarian type 
kind of a an incompetent totalitarian uh, with nuclear weapons society, um, where where Putin, I think, is increasingly unpopular, and people don't really have anything that they can do about it. In the same way that the Soviets were unpopular, and people, until they found a way, didn't have anything, any way to do anything about it. Well, that seems inarguable. However, I could throw a monkey wrench into what you just said. I think that it's obvious that Biden is extremely unpopular. I guess obvious that America's foreign policy has been incompetent since at least the Korean War, and uh, that our our leaders are impregnable or nearly so to because the real leaders are the the deep state of the, the administrative state, the, the bureaucracy. The state is what it is, and politicians are the you know, are the pimple poppers on top. I'm not sure that they're much more than that. And considering how many crimes against humanity the United States government has done, including torture, which has been coming out recently, uh, Judge Napolitano has recently made a big deal about this, uh, as the CIA. There have been FBI agents who've been loaned to the CIA so that during their period that they're on loan to the CIA, they can torture people. That wouldn't smear the FBI's name, so they go to the they, they go to the CIA to, so they can torture people, and then the U.S. Very government. thoughtful, very yeah, it, thoughtful. It, so that would put, throw somewhat of a monkey wrench into your general uh, theme there, because our government seems to behave an awful lot like the Russian government. Maybe, uh, I guess, in the way I look at my theme, um, I'm not saying the U.S. of A. is always uh, perfect because it's not, and and my. You know, I, I guess I come at it as a person. I, I want certain things to, to happen in this world. Uh, I want to do everything I can to keep my government as free as possible, as accountable as possible. You know, myself and my neighbors as free as possible, my government as accountable as possible. But I, um, I also want to keep others. I want to keep private people who I'm concerned about, you know, and, and other countries that I'm concerned about. And, and of course, you know, one of the things that uh, in the last couple of weeks and uh, has come out, you know, uh, months ago, Japan came out and said in, in Southeast Asia, that if, if uh, an attack on Taiwan is, is a uh, existential threat to Japan and, uh, there have been several people in military stuff in Australia who've now come out and said the, th- the same thing. And, and so at a certain point, um, you know, I think, I think you can look at different things in history and you can see the, you know, the main and, uh, you know, the, the, so often there's some pretext for us getting sucked in. And then, of course, you see you know, uh, Germany going into the Rhineland and uh, militarizing and, and you see the Sudetenland being, you know, given over. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I don't think you always know what you, what you have. And of course, if you think of World War II, you think about us in partnership with the Soviet Union. I mean, it's just a murderous millions and millions of people murdered. And these, these aren't people murdered in the course of war. These are people murdered in just in the course of doing governmental business, uh, sort of, and and Mao and and all of that. So it's it's, I mean, I do think that there's a categorical 
difference in in the U.S. in the sense that people want to get here. Now, maybe that's all wealth. Maybe it's just, oh, the U.S. is rich, so it's it's easier to survive there. And I'm sure that's an element of it. But I think that if it became repressive in the sense that some people talk about it as repressive, you wouldn't have people, you know, dying to get in. Um, now, of course, overseas, I mean, think of the, you know, you had, you've had all kinds of episodes and, and half the time, the, the American people are given some complete bull story about, I mean, the CIA bombing Guatemala City and the, I mean, these are things that this is in the 50s and I think it was the 50s, maybe it was the late 40s. Um, but, and, and of course, years ago, I went to a, a conference in Montevideo, uh, Uruguay, and, uh, and one of the American guys told me, he said, uh, oh, he doesn't like Americans too much, this one guy from Uruguay. I said, oh, why not, you know? <laughs> we were really nice people. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, well... You know, the CIA was kind of involved in the government shutting down the National Assembly for a couple of years. Well, that's not really okay. Um, that's not the sort of thing that you do. And you are in another, I mean, that to me, that's intervention. That's uh, um, liberating France and the Netherlands and stuff at the end of World War II. Nobody was like, oh, well, they're intervening. And of course, in, in essence, we were. But it's 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 a different, different sort of thing. And um, anyway, uh, so so it is dangerous that um, that the United States government has as much power as it has. And and in essence, at the same time, you know, I want I want our government uh I want to have the hypersonic whatever we need to be able not to be held hostage to Beijing uh, or God, God help us, uh, Moscow, uh, uh, you know. And, and uh, I think years ago, when it was obvious to all that the U.S. had such an advantage, I can remember in the in the late years of the Cold War, you know, in Congress, sometimes they pretend that the Soviets have all the, it was like, you know, no American general would ever trade and have with the, their assets for our assets. Um, now, I think, I think China has built up enough that, um, and we've been kind of lazy. I mean, back then, I think I would have thought of Space Force. I mean, come on, this is just a new way to spend money. And yet when Trump mentioned that, what, two or three years ago, I thought, oh, we need to do that. We need to do that because China and Russia are in space. And I don't, I mean, I don't, you know, it, there was a time in which the U.S. had nukes and nobody else did, not nukes, but the atom bomb. And, uh, and you know, you could, that, in, I mean, it, it <clears throat> had Hitler, had uh, the atom bomb <clears throat> and nobody else did, it may not have been quite as uh, pretty a picture as if we did. And so there, there is, you know, uh, I hate to give up uh, 
the safety of being stronger than, than, than my opponent. On that note, I should mention that uh, there seems to be some reason to believe that the United States government has quite a few weapons that they don't talk about, but that recently have been mentioned that would be usable, let's say, as against North Korea. Uh, it was mentioned uh, the the what is it the tungsten the tungsten uh, shafts that could be sh shot from space. It's not a nuclear explosion that hits ground, but it's quite a devastating thing. It's a shaft of tungsten that hits the ground and it hits the ground fast. Uh, and there's a lot of weapons like that in play in space in orbit that I think could make the next war very very interesting, so to speak. The problem is that. Uh, one reason we are now talking about them especially is because the military on the ground as a military unit, as fighting, as people, uh, is hopeless. Uh, the, it's been compromised by wokeism to such an amazing extent uh, that they're more concerned about getting everybody sh shot in the arm with a experimental medication than they are in good uh, fighting practices. So I think that there are a lot of people in the government who are very, very confident in their military technology, but not in their human beings, their ground personnel. So that we could be, we could be in a new era just for that. Is that drones are here because, well, I don't even want to say the rest of that. Well, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, in in years past, I was closer with people who were in the military. Uh, and so I, I felt like I had a better sense of kind of where they were. Uh, um, and, and I guess that was kind of before the, you know, the hyper, the uber uh, wokeism. Um, but I don't, uh, one, so much emphasis is put on, you know, kind of personnel and stuff. And, and, you know, there's talk about expanding draft registration to women and, and the idea that we need a lot more soldiers in uniform is, is silly. And if we are prepared to fight the next war thinking that way, we're not fighting the next war. We're not even fighting the current types of wars we're fighting an old war that's, I mean, this is, we've got to wake up. And especially when you think about uh, if your opponent's China and there's 1.4 billion people, and of course a lot more men than women because they had the screwy one child policy. Uh, uh, but, but they, we're not going to outmanpower them. We're not going to have more bodies than they've got bodies. And so it is a technological and a strategic uh, thing. And, and here, here's our advantage. We aren't the aggressor. We don't have to take any territory. We don't have to, you know, it, 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 all we have to do is protect ourselves and our, our allies and our, our, you know, freedom's friends, you know, are around us. It's, 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 it, and so it is, it does seem to me that um, you know, I, I, I don't I don't feel like somehow the military can't accomplish this goal. Uh, and and I think that's the safest approach because we, we could go the other way. But the other way, I think, is that if China ever does go after Taiwan and the U.S. doesn't respond, uh, Japan, Australia, other 
major allies there are looking to respond because they've already signaled that this is existential to them. They know that we can go across the Pacific and China is probably not going to invade the United States of America. And what I've suggested a couple of times is if that's what we want to do, let's let them know. Because, you know, friends do that for other friends. They don't just cut out when the when the bullets start flying. They tell them ahead of time, I'm I'm headed out and I'm not going to be there with you. If if that's what we're going to do, that's what we do. But they've already signaled they can't do that. They know that they're they're isolated. And and so then all of Asia is gone. Well, if all of Asia is gone, what about the rest of the Indo-Pacific? What about Africa? What about, you know, it, it becomes a, a naval battle around the world. And, and it, it just seems to me that, that we really are at a, a point where, you know, and it, it has been you and me, Tim, you know, who, who kind of said, hey, come on, let's go around the world and uh, let's kick a little butt. But uh, we are now being called in essence, and and you look at what's happening in Ukraine, and I mean, think of all the times they talked about a two-front war, and the U.S. needed to be preparing. You're thinking, what are you guys thinking? What are you thinking? We're going to yeah, what? Uh, well, that's that's where I mean, what if what if uh, Xi Jinping and the two Nazis uh, uh, launch an invasion across the Taiwan Strait, and uh, and the Russians move into Ukraine with the supposedly 175,000 troops they have on the border. Um, you know, this, this becomes a little different world at that point. Well, the problem is that if you engage at the level we can engage, that is using high technology, that is crossing a barrier. You know, there's this, this, this sort of this invisible barrier we've always had, which is about nuclear weapons. We don't want to engage in massive thermonuclear war. However, there are now many alternatives to massive thermonuclear war, yes. which I believe are as bad, except for the planet, is that I believe now that we can destroy each other, our civilizations and our peoples, and kill millions and billions of people, but without destroying the planet, without destroying the ecosystem. All you have to do is put EMPs above the United States atmosphere, uh, and we're dead. We're dead in three weeks. We're rioting in two, and we're dead in three. And and, and the, so the China knows it. So the Russians know it. Our government knows it. So I don't know if they know what they're going to do. I don't. I, I think that the next level of warfare is also stalemate, and it's also mass death on an unbelievable platform. And uh, I don't know. It, I don't know how they're going to figure this out because I think we're just back in the same position. Because as soon as we go shooting, uh, sh uh, shooting thermonuclear, not thermonuclear. Uh, tungsten bolts from space they're going to up the ante with the one thing they can do which is take down our infrastructure and they can do it very very quickly i actually don't think any of that will happen <clears throat> and and maybe i'm maybe i'm 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 thinking hopefully but but i really don't think i think the uh xi jinping would like to expand um but i think that the fact that China, that uh, Japan came out and has been as forceful, they wouldn't have done that unless they felt like they kind of had to. Europe 
has been uh, much of the mood has changed. And I think uh, the coronavirus pandemic uh, has created a situation in which China is maybe more, more leveraged than the rest of us are. Um, they're, they're, they see, I think, some unity out there. And I'm a little surprised by the unity. I mean, there's, there's, uh, uh, there's been pushback from the Philippines and Malaysia. And, and, um, and so my hope is that if they, if they see, look, there's just too much here. Let's, you know, let's bide our time. Time's on the side of the Taiwanese, um, the longer it goes. I think we should do a fact check. You asked for uh, two fact checks. One was China double false from November 24th. That was the piece on Kang, the tennis star, right? I should have known that. That was my title. That was your title. I, the, the reason I didn't remember it was, of course, because it was on <laughs> Wednesday and not on Friday. <laughs> Completely. That's I'm blaming it all on you. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I don't have it. I don't remember past pieces that you write. Uh, and uh, the other is that it's 15 school board associations. Uh, Not 16. School, state school board associations have withdrawn their membership from the National School Board Association. That's We need one to grow on. I don't know if you uh, have anything else more you need to say. Um, I have nothing else to say. I think I've said it all. Okay, on that, on that note, everything having been said, uh, this is This Week in Common Sense for the last week of November, first week of December 2021. You're Paul Jacob. I'm Timothy Verkula, and we're out of here. All right. <laughs>